What you have just read, the highlighted section, is basically John's version of the same Great Commission. In the beginning of our bulletin, I have printed out all those four sections from all four Gospels, how they all end. Basically, sending us in His name to preach the Gospel to all nations. I wanted you to see that with your own eyes. Now, today's title is His Commission. Last Sunday was Mother's Day message for me. But if you will recall, uh, two weeks ago, I have spoken on the theme of His peace. The shalom that He, Jesus, is speaking now in this passage three times. I believe it is more than a casual greeting. I am sure as a Jewish man, Jesus always greeted people with that shalom aleikum. But it is not written elsewhere in the Gospels. I am sure he was a nice man. But all in the same passage in 20th chapter, post-resurrection account, John, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes three times that Jesus has spoken, peace to you, to his disciples. So I've said, the reason Christ is peace, and what he's doing is more than greeting his disciples, in that he is gifting them with that long promised and that long awaited peace to his disciples first. All that that Christ has achieved through his death, burial for three days, and resurrection, they achieved peace with God, peace with our own selves, in our own, on our own, and peace with others. And verse 21, today I'm just going to speak on verse 21 and some 23, but primarily 21. So Jesus shows up when the door was shut. Everybody's afraid. Probably they were thinking, oh, we are seeing the spirit, the ghost elsewhere, he says. But Jesus stood amongst them in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And shows him his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And elsewhere also he said, they were rejoicing, but they were fearful. So a lot was going on. In verse 21 today, So Jesus said to them again for the second time, Peace be with you. Again, Jesus pronounces peace first. And then he says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You're looking at that verse, What? could be your conclusion. My conclusion is very simple. That peace to you and the commission that Jesus is giving now, they are closely related and connected to each other. Many of us will 
would like Jesus to stop with the peace to you. Just enjoy the salvation that Christ has achieved and as He bestows upon us the peace with God, within ourselves, with each other. I mean, I mean, it's just a good life right there. And we wish sometimes Christ stop right there. Say no more. But Christ, right after He says peace to you, for the second time, He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Immediately what came to my mind was Mount Sinai scene. Do you remember? After a couple months of sojourning in the wilderness, they were traveling farther into the desert. Remember that? And as soon as they came to the Mount Sinai, this is what Yahweh God said to His people. Listen to this once again. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And here it is. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God did not want them to simply stay within that Salvation, bringing them out of Egypt, is basically equivalent to what Christ has done for us. But in both cases, in the Old Testament gospel, see what I've done for you? Why don't you build your kingdom in this wilderness? I am going to protect you, is not what God is saying. You now have to be as a nation. A lamp unto this dark Gentiles, and you should be my priestly kingdom, proclaiming the great name of Yahweh to all nations. It was in a seed form already was pronounced to the Israelites. When? Immediately after they came out of Egypt, and now they just arrived at the safe haven in the wilderness of Sinai, Mount Sinai, God does not say, let's have a party first. Safely I brought you out, let's slaughter the animals and it's barbecue time. Wow, wow. And immediately God commissions them, the Israelites. Same here too. Christ is risen from the dead. He shows up that very first day, evening. In John's version, he basically says, peace to you. Peace to you, as Father has sent me, I send you. You see how the salvation that God gives us will not leave us alone in that state. Remember how Peter went to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And when he saw uh, Moses and Elijah, he said, I am going to build three tabernacles for us and we're just going to stay here forever. I don't want to go down. I don't want to go down from this mountain. Why? Like all of us, the reality waits for us. He didn't want to go back. Israelites, they just arrived at Mount Sinai. God says, you'll be priestly kingdom to me. Christ, the reason Christ, He doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't take 
a conference room and send them to a vacation and retreat center away from Jerusalem, on that very night, Jesus says, I send you. I understand that many of you already sitting there are feeling much pressure. Uh, But that is not really what I'm trying to do. I want you to see really one thing today, that is Christ's resurrection and His peace and His sending, sending and us being sent, they are all connected together and given to us as a package deal. I want, you to, I want you to get that. I want you to see that. If I ask you, who are the Christians? Who are Christians? You would say, we are the forgiven ones. Or you may say, we are the justified ones. Or being sanctified ones. But you should also say that, you know, we are the sent ones. It must be there. We must embrace this. To be a Christian is to be a sent one. This really is what the Gospels were driving at, as you have seen with your own eyes. All four Gospels, the endings are all the same. Reason Christ sends us. Also the fact that He said all of these on the very first day of His resurrection on His evening, in that evening, And if these are the first few words out of the risen Christ's mouth, he could have said other things. He could have asked, how are you doing? Or he could have said, where were you? Let's talk about that first. As if for three days in his burial, all he was thinking about was sending his disciples. Resurrection, peace, go, they are all put together. I want you to see that. Also, peace of Christ comes first, as I've been emphasizing. Jesus does not say, as soon as he shows up, go. Peace to you two times. That really tells me Jesus wants, first of all, for us to receive the benefit of His salvation first. To be assured of our salvation first. And He wants us to enjoy that peace first. And then He will send us. So let us keep that order also in our minds as well. Another thing is that you cannot say, as you listen, as you stare at this verse, you cannot say to God, God, I am going to wait until I have a complete, perfect peace. I am not moving. I'm not going. I need peace. You can't really do that. Because what did Christ say earlier in John 16, 33? In me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. 
What Jesus is promising is not the complete eradication of all the problems in our lives. So this peace from Christ is received by faith. And like many other benefits that we receive from Christ, it really is already not yet reality that we receive from Christ. So while we emphasize the peace first, before you send them or we go anywhere, we need to know the gospel first. But yet at the same time, we cannot wait indefinitely forever until everything's, in my own perspective, everything's right, comfortable. Then, okay, now I, I think it's time. There is that fine balance that peace is the launching pad from which we are sent into the world. But often we must come back to Christ to be recharged because peace is found in Christ by faith. So those are the things that I've noticed here. Now if we could move on to what he says. He did not simply say, go, go. He said, peace be with you. And listen, look at, look at the words carefully. What does he say? What did he say? As the Father has sent me, I also send you. See, The emphasis in that sentence lies with as the word. It's at the front. That word is on the front of the whole thing. But that word really is just as, not simply as, but just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And stop for a minute and think about what that means. Just as the Father has sent me. That's the pattern. I am going to do exactly the same thing that the Father commissioned me, and I am going to do the same thing for you. Jesus didn't say, just as my God sent me. He didn't say, my boss up there sent me. That word, his favorite word, really shows us the intimacy, the relationship that he has with the Father. The filial relationship. And between Father and Son, there's a mutual love and trust and dedication. So the father will not abuse the son or abandon the son, his son. Just as the father sent me, my father protected me, my father sent me in love, and with his spirit, the father was with me, and also the father was the provider, was he not? So Jesus in Matthew, in that version of the Great Commission, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why? Just to see how we are doing. No, Emmanuel God is a saving presence. God provides for us. So when Jesus says on this night, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He wanted his disciples to see the pattern now accomplished. And he's saying in turn to his disciples, trust me. 
I am with you always to the end of the ages with you to provide for you is the pattern. Uh, what a wonderful promise it is. Now, the third one is this. I'm skipping verse 22. I'll come back to it next week. But you see how I've mentioned this one time. It was really about past 20 years that I've seen that many of the churches spent so much time crafting their mission statement. What's mission statement? What are the values of our organizations? And I thought, you know, this is really a business thing that the pastors are trying to implement. I understand. I understand crafting a, a, a cute sentence is important. But the church is church. And one of the things that was really popular was Andy Stanley's podcast. He, he was uh, one of the number one po- Apple podcasts. He did a leadership podcast. And he had a great influence past 10, 15 years. Um, and one of the things that he always encouraged, and his church's mission statement, the, the crystal clear one sentence mission statement for that church to become a church where the unchurched people would love to attend. I still remember. So I understand that's good. But is that the only mission? Can you reduce the, the gospel orientation of the church into a single sentence? It is a very risky thing. We need everything. We need missions. We need evangelism. But also we need Christian life. We need counseling. We need teaching, preaching. We need all of those. And reducing a church into a church where unchurched people would love to. I mean, obviously, it's a good thing. Who would argue against that? But you see, when you try to do that, it, it just reduces the gospel. And now, Jesus says, Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he said, Here it is, clear. Mission statement is verse 23. Would you look at verse 23 with me? For what? What's the mission statement? If you want mission statement, here it is. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. What is the mission of the church? And how does one do that? Basically, it's the same thing as Matthew 16, 19, where Jesus said, I will give you, the disciples, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be shall have been loosened, loosed in heaven. How? Do we have that kind of authority? No, Christ does. What Christ entrusted to the church is the proclamation of the gospel and exercise of church discipline. That's how we traditionally understand that. You don't have, we don't have any authority to pronounce such salvation on the people. All we do is to proclaim So I would understand verse 23 in the same, similar vein that this is what Christ is saying. But important thing is this. The church's mission on earth is a spiritual mission. If I would ask you, did you know this was our mission? To forgive sins of anybody proclaiming, evangelizing, and to, to, to go to mission fields? You will say, of course. I know. 
But for a second, I just want us to be just be honest. Why are we not impacted by this verse 23? I thought about it. Few reasons that I could come up with. Why are we uh, not? Why do we not embrace verse twenty-three as we should? There are many reasons, but just few. First is pride. Pride in me says, "I know. I've done this for all my life. This is how I grew up. I was involved in missions group and whatever in a college time. I know all of that." That really is not good. Another reason might be also, maybe we are not valuing the souls. You know, the one word that often pops up in Baptist churches that we, the Presbyterian churches, do not use. At least I haven't heard from uh, uh, Presbyterian churches that are associated with is a word, a soul winner. You will hear that a lot in Baptist churches. There are strengths and weaknesses in, in churches, all churches. What we could do is to learn. Baptist churches, they lay heavy emphasis on baptism, right? We also baptize. We also baptize infants and adults. But in Baptist churches, I don't know if you grew up Baptist. I went to Baptist church in my college years. They all have baptistry. So each and every occasion of the baptism, it really becomes a highlight point, which is a good thing. And they go in, walk into that tub, and usually it's crystal clear, so you could see, you know, people are standing with Mike and, if you drop the mic in the tub, that's, that's not good. You know, all of that stuff. And I, we went to uh, Second Baptist Church in Houston, the biggest church other than Lakewood, which really is not, I don't think it's a church, but Second Baptist Church. At the end of the year, you know what they do is it's a mega church. They put up a videos of people who went through baptism, showing it, celebrating it, and they tally up how many baptisms they administered that week, that year. And, and I thought, remember thinking, that's a good way to encourage people to evangelize. Soul winner, going, going after a soul. But I really haven't heard that word in a Presbyterian church. Maybe you have just own my own experience. But we need to value the souls. What are they worth? What's the price on the soul? How, how much? How much? Probably you should say, as much as the blood of Christ. Third reason might be this: why we are not impacted by this verse is this: our lives are overexposed to the news, non-stop news. What that does to us is that we end up devaluing this Christ commission, thinking that what really matters is 
to go out there and solve those problems. You see, the war that you hear about Gaza Strip and all these things, and here's another problem, here's another problem. All the while, we miss the very fundamental point of Christian faith is that what? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Also, fundamentally, when we are not impacted by this verse that it is forgiveness of sins, the proclamation of the gospel, it could be really fundamentally your spiritual problem. There are two kinds of boredom in the church. Boredom created and really is a responsibility. You could blame it all on your pastor. Complete boredom. I understand. I take that blame. But there's also a second kind of boredom, which is spiritual. Which causes people to fall asleep in the church as soon as the word is proclaimed. They will sing. I've seen so many times. Jump up and down and all these things. And as soon as preacher comes up, doodling. My children, you're okay. You could doodle. I've seen so many of them. At the end of the day, you have to say, something's wrong spiritually there. Physical problem, physically tired, okay. But there are spiritual issues there as well. Also, if I could speak a bit more frankly. We all understand this and how we feel burdened. What happens when a uh, small congregation tries to obey this? Inevitably, pastor would present to you certain works that we could do as a church. Whether it is inner city missions, or in my case, I've taken all of my church churches into Native Americans in the state. There are so many of them. When you go to those places, you, 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 your heart will be broken. But Downside of a small congregation is that we have just very limited number of resources. And if we present something, if I present something to you, chances are you have already tried or done that. There's nothing new. Also, the turnout rate is low. I'm not blaming, I'm not doing anything, I'm just saying, stating the facts. So let's say I want to let's say we're gonna do inner missions or inner city missions or something like that. Who's gonna show up? Tom, <laughs> Eric, Sam, something like that. It's a sample case. So it becomes wearisome. You know couple of things that I resolved in my own mind and I'm communicating this to you over and over again. Just because there is a need doesn't mean we should start something without thinking it through. Without thinking that it will last. You don't want to start something and 
and, and fizzle out in a couple of weeks. So we need, if I could say this, we need to grow a church a little bit. I know it does not depend on you, it does not depend on me. But church has to be just a bit bigger than 20 people or 30 people. We are a little bigger than that. But also, if you look around, one of the reasons why we cannot really do this is because of season of your life. If you would, don't do it, but if you would just look around. <laughs> most of you, most, not everyone, but most of you are married with young children. It is a very difficult time to do anything. Even 10 years ago, when I look at those pictures of you, you were very young. I, re- I see the pictures, how you were young and babies were young. Young families. At the time, less responsibilities. And you could, like Friday, Saturday, you could gather together to do something. But now, we don't, we don't have time. It's, the, it's just reality. You see where we are. I don't want to start so many. And for good reasons, you may say yes, but one thing you got to learn in church life is to say no. I know it's going to hurt. I know you will be accused. I will be accused saying you don't care. You are not diligent. No, I do care. But one of the things, at least in this phase of our church, is to preserve. Preserve my strength and sanity. I am slowly recovering and all of these things. I'm testing it out in my own, own self. And I am, I am in, in a much better condition than I, where I used to be. But once you start saying yes to yes to yes, soon you will die. Soon you will die. It all comes back to me. So delegation. Do we have people who could own up that vision? I see it. I see the need. There are multiple in our church. But I'm simply praying at this time. So you see, those are the reasons I could think of why. But again, if you remember what I've just said earlier, we cannot wait until when everything is perfect. While I acknowledge all of these realities in our lives, in our church, we cannot say to Christ, Christ, Jesus Christ, you see, we're not ready for this. We cannot do this because of all on our circumstances. You cannot say that. I cannot say that. So we have to pray to God and seek His wisdom. What are some of the things that we could do without really killing ourselves, extending ourselves so thin? Are there something that we could do? You see, in God's timing, by faith, God's timing is always now. It's not when my kids go to college. But it is now. I remember talking to my uh, previous church, the founding pastor's wife. They built a church in the 70s over there. And I was kind of excusing our generation, saying, you know, we are busy. Children are young. We just... And she looked at me coldly and said, Pastor Sam, 
It was just like that in the 70s and 80s as well. Everybody had their babies, but they still came out holding onto their babies, still serving, still cooking, still evangelizing, all of that. Right. We have to keep that in mind. God's timing is always now. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I'm going to just skip all of those and just jump into some of the applications. Like I said, today we are not strategizing. We are not thinking about, oh, we need this, we need this, 2021, the plan of RPC, all of that. We, we are not doing that. One thing I want you to go home with today really is the fact that the reason Christ said these words to his disciples who are confused, who are terrified, who could have taken a vacation, a week off from all these things that they went through past 24 hours. Three applications. First of all, when Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you, what is implicit in that statement is Jesus' obedience. When you hear the word, you expect me to say, let us form a team and start going out. We could do that. But why don't you at this time confine this verse into Lord, help me to obey this command. Our joy comes from obeying Christ's command, right? We do this not because we want to grow something, not because we want to prove something, but really in obedience to Christ. There shouldn't be much pressure from the pulpit. There shouldn't be really guilt tripping of a congregation. They are already burdened, which we we all understand. Everyone's at different stage. So why don't you narrow it down today and really see and cry out to God on your own that, Lord, I am here. My life is here. I'm burdened with this and this and that. But can you show me the ways in which I could obey this command? That should be our approach. Not trying to pressure you. Not trying to make you feel guilty about these things. But it's about you and your Lord, Jesus Christ, and obedience. So think about that. Second is this. Peace to you, peace to you, then go. If peace, we, if we could see peace as justification, fruit of justification, what we really have to make up our mind in the early days of, of all churches and, and ministries is that you do not reverse the order. You do not set up committees and works and all the ministries to man the ship. I've said so many times, and I'm sure you have too. As church grows, you need structure. You need committees, departments. You look, 
Who's going to set up? Who's going to tear it down? Who's going to clean up? Who's going to play music? Who's going to usher? Who's going to fold the bulletins? Thousands of bulletins. We have 45 today bulletins. Our church used to fold 1500s. All young adults, they have to come out Saturday and stop folding <laughs> for two hours. But there was a joy and there was fellowship. But let us not make that mistake. Let us not simply grab someone and start giving them jobs. No. It's not good for them. It's not good for the church. The final one. The final one today. Something that we could think about and pray for is this. Peace. Here is the foundation of all church activities. That is, now I'm not talking about peace within, in our own hearts, but the peace of our PC. What is a good church? What is a good church? If you ask me, you could talk about three marks of the pure church, the church, good church. To me, good church is a non-fighting church. Only if you have experienced a church that is fighting within, you would appreciate what I am saying. I don't care if you have orthodox theology. I don't care if you could memorize Barkov. I don't care you have greatest preacher on earth, Sunday school teachers. I don't care what you have. If church is infighting, in turmoil, that church is not going anywhere. You cannot do anything in that kind of church. So, I want you to pray for the peace and unity of this church. We have it. When you have it, you got to write it. What that means is, when God has given us peace in our church, this is the time that we should be training and doing all the things that we could do. And I pray that it will last. And it's the function of the session, the leadership primarily, but also it extends to the, to the people as well, that we will stand behind the cross. We will not impose our own views. And if you just look around, our church is a very diverse church. We think differently. We come from different cultural backgrounds. How can we go about and do the business of God? Only by humbling ourselves. Only by considering others better than ourselves. Simply put, stay behind the cross. Uh, it doesn't matter what you believe to be your own thing that you really believe. If it does not promote the gospel and the gospel culture, you could stay behind the cross. Because only through the cross we could be united and with that foundation God could send us. Today, I hope and pray that you will feel the magnitude of Christ's words in your own hearts. And I've given you some pointers that you could pray for as you participate and 
And as we pray together for uh, the mission of this church in obedience to Christ's command, may God bless you. May God bless this church to fulfill the mission, commission that Christ has given to this church. Let's pray.